Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angela Fryermuth. And I'm Lauren Lake. Today we have three guests from the Charleston District, which is celebrating 150 years of service. With us today are Ms. Lisa Matheny, Deputy District Engineer for Programs and Project Management, and Mr. Brian Williams, Acting Chief of Military Construction, as well as the District's Public Affairs Specialist, Mr. Sean McBride, who will be helping out with the interview today. Thank you for joining us here. Our pleasure to be with you. We, we love any opportunity we have to get a talk about the Charleston District. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having us. It's a good opportunity. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you all. So we always like to start off our episodes by getting to know our guests. Lisa, can you tell us about yourself and your role in, in the Charleston District? Can you also talk a little bit about Charleston District? Where specifically are you located and your mission within the Corps? Uh, yes, happy to happy to talk about the district. Just a little bit about me. As the big long title implies, I'm the Deputy District Engineer for Programs and Project Management. Uh, usually I introduce myself as the, the senior civilian. That seems to translate a little better with, with the public. And especially since I'm not an engineer by uh, trade, I actually am a, an economist. My undergraduate degree is in economics, and I have a master's in business administration. So uh, a little bit different from my uh, my peers uh, across the core. I'm here. Charleston District is located right in downtown uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, we have about 225, 230 employees, and we execute a program of between 300 and 350 million dollars annually. Most of uh, South Carolina is covered by our district, but we also have regional and national customers as well. Even though we're relatively small in the number of employees, we do have all three of the major programs, uh, civil works, uh, military construction, and interagency and international support. So while uh, the civil works is focused mainly on the state of South Carolina, uh, we have regional reimbursable customers all throughout the uh, nine southeastern states in Puerto Rico, as well as some national customers uh, like Marine Forces Reserves and uh, DLA installation support. For me, uh, how did how did I end up in this job, not being a, an engineer? I started with the Huntington District uh, back in June 1st of 1993 as an economics intern, and I was there for six years. I learned all about, at the time, we called it uh, flood damage reduction instead of flood risk management, um, and inland navigation. I came down here to Charleston District in uh, July 1st of 1999, and I've been here uh, pretty much ever since, um, other than doing a few developmental assignments here and there. So worked my way up for, uh, from an economist and plan formulator to now, in essence, the chief operating officer for the district. So that's sort of us in a nutshell. Great, thank you, Lisa. Really appreciate you providing us with that overview. Brian, can you talk about your role in the district as well? Yeah, I've been with the Corps for about 18 years, and uh, I started uh, my career with the Corps of Engineers in the New York district as a coastal engineer. Uh, not uh, a lot of coastal engineers in the Corps of Engineers, so it's a relatively uh, small and tight-knit group uh, and I came to Charleston District in 2005, spent some time 
and engineering in the Charleston district before transitioning to project management. And Lisa gave me my first shot as a project manager. So really been a great opportunity to uh, be with the Charleston district through some very interesting times and very interesting projects. And uh, I went from being a project manager to transitioning uh, in Lisa's shoes uh, as the chief of programs and uh, civil works project management and also the deputy DPM. And I've been doing that since 2014. And then in the uh, past year, I've had some developmental assignments. And um, right now, I am currently the temporary chief of our military PM branch and uh, really um, enjoying getting to have that opportunity as well. Thank you for that overview, Brian. Today we're talking about Charleston celebrating 150 years. And so we would like to learn more about the district, how it started. So Lisa, can you give us some background on the district? Yes, absolutely. And we are incredibly excited to be celebrating our, our 150th. We actually had a little bit of debate about is it 150 or 200 years because the the permanent office was established here in 1871, but we had been doing work in the, in the Charleston and South Carolina air, area for 50 years prior to that. So we, we've kind of joked that it was a, a 50 year engagement before we actually got married to Charleston. One of the things the Charleston District is known for from early in our inception here and coming to Charleston was construction of the jetties. And the engineers that worked on that, they really knew what they were doing at the time because the the jetties, we, uh, we built them um, from 1882 to 1895, and it was just two years ago that we had to – the first time we had to do any repairs to it. So we really made our mark in the in the Charleston area by stabilizing the entrance to the harbor. Uh, throughout the history of the district um, here in South Carolina, we had a presence in a lot of different places, places that are now known as Fort Jackson and Fort Moultrie. Uh, if you look in the in the history books in the early 1900s, those were things called Camp Jackson when, uh, you know, literally there weren't any paved roads or anything like that. And and you had uh, soldiers li living in, in, in tents. And, you know, now we look at, at Fort Jackson and it it's one of the primary training bases for uh, new folks that come into the Army. Our our history with with supporting the Army is very long. We're we're here in the low country part of South Carolina. And so when you think about the the Corps of Engineers having um, the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899, um, we, we've been involved with Rivers and Harbors since that time. We also have a, a very robust regulatory program because of the presence of all that water here in the area. And over time, you know, we, we started, we cleared the harbor after the Civil War uh, each time that the state or the nation called on us to uh, undertake various missions, we we took those on um, with with gusto. We we built military installations. We built the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway. Uh, we have continued to deepen uh, Charleston Harbor over time. 
Um, the first deepening took it to 17 feet. And, you know, we've supported a lot of other activities of uh, other members of the federal family, including Department of Energy at Savannah Riverside. So we, we kind of grew from this. You know, we were doing some work here prior to 1871. In 1871, we said, we're going to be here for a while. Let's open an office. And then that office has has grown or shrank over time as, as the nation called on us. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the short version of our history. Thank you, Lisa. And so you talked about the Charleston Harbor briefly. And, and Brian, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the harbor and its history and just give us some more background of the project, both the history and uh, where it stands now. Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, it's tough not to think of Charleston uh, without thinking of kind of our signature civil works project in Charleston Harbor. In the 1700s, the natural depth of Charleston Harbor was approximately 12 feet. You know, over time, you know, natural shoaling and shifting of the channels created problems, uh, both for commercial interests as well as military interests. And that's really where the Corps of Engineers came into play. In fact, uh, Lisa talked about Fort Moultrie. Um, one of the reasons for uh, the Corps being involved in stabilizing and improving Charleston Harbor was that the shifting channel was actually creating erosion to Sullivan's Island, uh, which is on the northeast portion of Charleston Harbor. And that's where Fort Moultrie is situated. And it actually damaged Fort Moultrie through erosion repeatedly. And so really what, what the Corps got involved with was how to stabilize um, and improve those navigation channels for both commercial and military interests. The first portion of that Northeast jetty to stabilize the channel uh, was started in 1839. And then as Lisa said, the jetties that we currently know them as came later than that. Another interesting thing about uh, Charleston, Charleston Harbor and its dredging history is that modern dredging history can be traced to Charleston. So there was a Charleston native, um, his name was uh, Nathaniel Levy, and he conceived of and built the first suction dredge, which we currently know of as hydraulic dredging. Uh, so it's you know, that's like the modern day term for it, but uh, his dredge that he conceived of and built was called the General Moultrie. And uh, it undertook the first hydraulic dredging in Charleston Harbor in 1857. And so the modern dredging history owes its, you know, infancy and, and its um, past and its future to what happened um, here in Charleston. You know, we've been maintaining and, as Lisa said, repeatedly deepening the harbor to benefit uh, commercial and military interests ever since. So to go from, from 12 feet uh, back in the 1700s took a, a few different steps uh, to get us to where we are now in deepening the harbor again, time to 50 feet. That project has been uh, really a great success story both in the planning uh, and the design and the construction. So it's more than $500 million construction project for deepening the harbor. And uh, it's really gone um, exceedingly well. And that's thanks to uh, the leadership in the Charleston district over the years 
and a, really a testament to to our employees. So I'll, I'll pause there. One fun fact I saw when I was looking into that that Nathaniel Levy dredge, uh, the General Moultrie is actually listed as the first ever Corps of Engineers dredge as well. So uh, not only you know first dredge created um, and created here in Charleston and used here in Charleston, but it's labeled as the first Corps of Engineers uh, operated dredge in history. So that's another fun fact on that one. Awesome. Some really good uh, core history in the Charleston district. Lisa, uh, you mentioned in your intro that in 1917, Charleston district constructed what is now Fort Jackson. And you talked about soldiers coming in. Today, 50,000 incoming soldiers complete basic training there each year. So can you tell us a little bit more about the history uh, with Fort Jackson, please? Um, yes, the the Corps of Engineers has a, a very long history with with Fort Jackson, and and the Charleston District's been part of it, and we've shared that history with uh, Savannah District, our our sister district to the south of us. Um, so originally we did the construction, um, like I said, in in 1917, back during World War One times, and and there were a, a lot of a lot of uh, military camps um, built throughout the the U.S. A, at that time. Many of which are, are, you know, have been closed and, and aren't there anymore, um, such as the ones that were up around the, the Myrtle Beach area. But then, as um, you know, as as the nation went on from World War One and into World War Two, and and then uh, you know c continued on with uh, with military service, uh, for, you know, Fort Jackson grew and changed um, over time. They've always had a, a true or a, a foundational base of of bringing in uh, folks in their initial entry in, into the Army. And so uh, Charleston District's boundaries and missions changed over time. And for – so Savannah District had the primary responsibility for uh, the mission of supporting Fort Jackson um, for over 20 years, from, from the 80s up until 2008. Um, and that's when the, the mission came back to the district. And at that time, uh, the Army was going through um, what they call the MILCON transformation, which was really looking differently at how we build the, the major um, components um, on a base, such as dining facilities and how we're laying out barracks and, and all of those sorts of things. And that was also at the same time that a base realignment and closure was underway. So there was a lot of, uh, of military construction and renovation going on at that time. And so we picked up the mission in 2008 and, and helped uh, since that time have done over a billion dollars worth of construction um, at Fort Jackson to help them really be up to date on how they receive, you know, incoming recruits. And, and give them their basic training experience. Those 50,000 incoming soldiers represent a little over 60% of, of all new recruits to the Army. The other 40% are done at one of two other other bases. And, and so we've we've kind of grown with Fort Jackson as they've really embraced being that that uh, center of training. Uh, Fort Jackson also trains the uh, chaplains across several services. Um, and they also have the um, Army Drill Sergeant School there. So the, the support we provide to them is everything from when they 
when they come in as a as a new 18 year old, all the way through um, supplying them with uh, with the uh, drill sergeants who are who are going to help them throughout their career, and and you know on uh, on into the the chaplains that may help them while they're while they're in service. So that's kind of been our our history and involvement there. And uh, Brian, I'll see if you want to chime in with with any anything in your time you've been setting in the the military chief uh, slot. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, just a couple of more fun facts uh, because, you know, the, the history of what Charleston District has done um, is so interesting to me uh, that, you know, Fort Jackson, I think we said, you know, more than 45,000 basic trainees a year, uh, also uh, up to about 12,000 advanced trainees every year go through Fort Jackson. 50% of all the soldiers pass through Fort Jackson, but actually 60% of the women entering the Army every year. Uh, so that's that's great. And then something I found out relating to the speed with which, you know, things worked way back when, 1,500 buildings were put up um, on Camp Jackson between June and December of 1917. Uh, so that's the year that it was established, and they built 1,500 buildings. We don't build quite with that speed anymore. Um, we try and do it as quickly as we can. It's such a great mission for us to be involved in, in supporting our military, supporting the Army, those trainees, and uh, ensuring that they have really top-notch facilities. And not only them, but also their families, you know, their dependents. So the, you know, the, the schools, and everything that's on the, on Fort Jackson, um, we just couldn't be happier to be a part of that. Yeah, just you know, Brian mentioned the the schools there. We recently completed construction of uh, Pierce Terrace Elementary School, and one of the great things um, about the employees in the district, um, they put together this great STEM outreach event. That while the new school was being constructed. They actually went up and spent the day with uh, kindergarten first and second graders and did a whole thing about what the new school was going to look like, what types of things that the engineers and the the people working on the new school building looked at and thought about as they were building the new school. Uh, they brought in uh, little uh, plans to let the kids, if they got to lay out the school the way they wanted to, how they could do that. But the biggest hit of the day was our construction folks brought in all, a bunch of tools and safety equipment. And there is nothing cuter than getting to see a little first grader in first grade hard hat and safety vest and safety glasses holding like a big giant wrench and talking about how excited they are to one day they want to be an engineer too. When you talk about support to families and stuff at Fort Jackson, um, you know, that's not just the parents and, and giving the kids a, a building to be in, but really talking to them about all the things that they can be when they grow up, and hopefully they'll study STEM and come to work for the Corps. That's great. That, that must have been a lot of fun. And so, Lisa, you mentioned Charleston uh, District being uh, in the low country and talked about the wetlands and low-lying areas throughout the state. But Brian, wanted to hear a little bit from you about how uh, Charleston District is involved with environmental regulations that surround business development in the state, particularly with those types of um, 
areas and environmentally sensitive resources around the state. So Brian, we'll turn it to you. Yeah, the, the low country, if you've never been here, uh, it really earns its name. Uh, it is tough to throw a rock and not hit something wet. So our regulators do a fantastic job of working uh, within our regulations, within our laws, and trying to really balance the need of our commercial interest, our economic development, but also ensuring that there's no net loss of wetlands and that we're really balancing those two things in, in trying to, to figure out how to make things work. And so some of the really large projects that our regulators work with, uh, certainly transportation projects, the roads and bridges, but also those, those large manufacturing and transportation facilities. So we've got Boeing, uh, which is, you know, a really important economic driver. Uh, the, the Ports Authority and everything that they have going on, another huge economic driver. The Walmart's uh, distribution centers, and I mean, there's probably, you know, 50 to 100 things, uh, hail gold mines throughout the state that are that are really impactful. And I think really the Charleston District does a fantastic job in, in making sure that there is that balance in a state that has so many great resources. When a lot of people think about our environmental uh, reg regulatory program, obviously their their first thought goes to filling wetlands or, or dealing with streams here on the coast. And that is a, a very big part of what we look at. But as I said earlier, we cover the entire state. As development is occurring, um, obviously we want no net loss of wetlands, but there's uh, various stream impacts. Uh, we have to make sure that the projects are not going to be you know flooding their neighbors because of uh, how they they work the land and and have stormwater runoff and and things like that. But it also leads to some very interesting projects. One of the projects our regulators um, had to uh, evaluate a permit for was for the Hale Gold Mine, actually in the Piedmont area up near uh, near Charlotte. It really afforded an opportunity to look at a lot of different things in the environment. And, you know, a lot of us got to learn a whole lot about how gold mining used to be done and how it's done now and looking at ways that the folks doing it were going to be able to protect the environment while still being able to do their development. So for every road or bridge that we do, somewhere out there there's uh, something different that um, our regulators have to look at and evaluate as well. And we're we're very proud to work, you know, very well with the state of South Carolina and the Department of Commerce to to make sure we are doing that balanced economic development. Yeah, and one other thing, you know, because of really linking to the Port of Charleston, you know, that's how how many things are always connected. And the Port of Charleston, with all the imports and exports that are coming through the the various port terminals, you know, we have a, a very big highway corridor leading from Charleston, I-26 to I-95 and I-85 and 75, all the highways. So there's also a lot of major business developments that come up in our area that we're looking at. So we've done projects for Google, Amazon, Walmart, Boeing, um, all sorts of uh, car companies and, and car manufacturers. We're very heavily involved in the economic success of the state and the region. 
and just kind of, you know, they, they say that, uh, what is it, one in 11 jobs um, is linked to the port in South Carolina. And, you know, you can say that a large part of that is due to, you know, the work that we've done to, to balance those, you know, economic developments with uh, environmental sustainability and, and restoration. And one other note I wanted to just throw out too is, you know, we, we appreciate, you know, all of the public too, you know, for a long time, um, reaching out to the core and asking about what they can and can't do. And that's kind of always been a big thing around here is because so many people live in or on uh, water, whether it's, you know, an actual stream or, or, or river or just a low-lying area, you know, people tend to want to just be able to do whatever they want on their own property um, when it comes to building things or filling things. But we have, you know, a very good program um, with the core that, People contact us, and, and for many, many years, you know, we, we send people out to take a look at things and, and talk to people in the community about, you know, uh, whether or not they um, would be impacting or need a, a permit or, or need to do any sort of, um, get any sort of permissions to do things. So we we have a really good relationship with the community in that sense as well, not just with these big companies. That is great. Having great public participation and public outreach is always a good thing. Um, we mentioned how important Charleston Harbor is. And I imagine when weather gets to be tough in the area, um, it makes things a little more challenging. And so there's no shortage of hurricanes in the South Carolina area. And so Lisa, can you talk about some of the efforts uh, you all are doing to address the impacts of hurricanes and natural disasters? Uh, yes, Angela, happy to, happy to touch on that. As you mentioned, anytime the we have hurricanes. Sometimes we have very powerful unnamed storms that that do uh, impact the the area. Not only do we have a responsibility and a mission to respond um, immediately after disasters to help with recovery from those, but we also do long-term uh, projects as well. In South Carolina, we do have what we call coastal storm risk management projects along the Myrtle Beach, the Grand Strand area, and um, also here locally at Folly Beach. Um, we have two other beaches where we have not yet constructed projects, but have done studies, and that's at Edisto and at Polly's. And that's really looking at what can be done along the coast to help reduce the, the impacts from uh, primarily erosion um, that occurs as, as part of those storms. But probably the biggest undertaking we have right now is the Charleston Peninsula study. And uh, that's a study that we're in the feasibility phase of that was directed by Congress for us to look at what can we do to protect this historic city from a storm surge. You know, we're celebrating our 150th, but uh, the city of Charleston was celebrating their 350th this year. Um, so a lot of his history here to be protected. We already talked about the low country. I think the highest elevation in downtown Charleston, I think, is elevation 14 or 15. We're looking at a variety of things that we can be done. One of the biggest things we're looking at now is some type of, of protective wall um, around a large part of the city to keep that water out, but trying to balance that with the not impacting the the historical buildings and, and being able to construct it in the type of uh, environment we have here um, is, is a challenge. And so we have we have a team that's actually comprised of people from across the core um, helping us look at that. 
will be uh, will be putting out an environmental impact statement about that um, about uh, eight months from now. Uh, so we're always looking at those things, and you know, hurricane response and recovery is something we're very active in as well with FEMA and um, South Carolina Emergency Management Department. A couple of years ago, you know, we like Lisa said, it's not always hurricanes, you know, like hitting Charleston uh, as as the models will always project. But you know, sometimes it's just as everything is very connected through the waterways in South Carolina. Um, you know, a couple of years ago. We worked with those partners that Lisa was talking about with after Hurricane Florence because, you know, it was a hurricane that didn't hit uh, our area directly or anything like that, but um, that was a very unique storm, and there was a lot of rain and runoff that flowed throughout the state uh, from the upstate all the way down to the coast, and, you know, it's just a, it's a great example of partnership to figure out, you know, the ways to come up with solutions um, you know, with working through with DOT and the National Guard and all sorts of different organizations um, to figure out what it is that we do. And it's just a, a very important part that we don't like being a part of, unfortunately, but unfortunately we have to be uh, and are proud of the work that we do do. But I uh, wish, you know, obviously we didn't have these storms we had to deal with, but uh, we're an organization that's always been prepared for them when we need them. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that example. You know, as we're talking today about the 150th anniversary of the Charleston District, and, and so we talked a lot about the past, but we want to talk some about the future. So, uh, Lisa and Brian, you know, what are some of the big projects that you all are working on that we can look to see from Charleston District going forward? Wow. Um, it, how long is the podcast? We could talk for a long time about this. You know, I mentioned the, the Charleston Peninsula study, and that's probably going to be our next a really huge project that that we would undertake. You know, it's over a billion dollars is currently um, the the alternatives that, that we're looking at. The current deepening, uh, just to give some perspective, we're deepening the harbor by seven feet and spending about half a billion dollars to do that. So a really big undertaking coming there. Obviously, looking at when do we need to re-nourish the federal beaches that we have here to um, provide protection to um, infrastructure and roadways and things like that? Those are always out there on the horizon, again, very dependent upon upon storms. We, we do a lot of what would be, uh, a lot of people would consider, um, you know, smaller, smaller projects, projects that are under $10 million to help address uh, flooding um, across the state, as Sean mentioned from Hurricane Florence, there are a lot of folks um, that are wanting to reevaluate their their flooding risk now that they've seen what can happen when uh, when we get a lot of rain concentrated in in, in one area and, and flowing down into a, a relatively flat um, landscape. On the on the military side of the house, um, I'll I'll let Brian talk a little bit about what we're looking at up at, up at Fort Jackson. Um, but a lot of our portfolio, you know, we're assisting our federal partners in whatever they need, whether that's the VA in Columbia, we're on deck to help them construct uh, four different projects over the next two years to working with our, our regional uh, folks like the 81st uh, Readiness Division of the Army Reserves and helping them um, ensure that all of their, all of their buildings are you know, well cared for and 
are, are ready for people to train in them um, at a moment's notice. But we've got a couple good projects in the hopper. Brian, if you want to give some uh, specifics on those. Sure. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, a couple of military construction projects we're looking forward to in the next couple of years, starting and completing in Fort Jackson, you know, barracks, you know, those, those facilities that help with uh, in-processing, all of those great trainees that come through the doors of Fort Jackson. And then, you know, just continuing to, to provide uh, that problem-solving value to the nation that Charleston District has done for 150 years to our sponsors, our customers, our stakeholders, the public, you know, in any way, shape, and form that we can is really, I think, what all of the employees are, are looking forward to. Just what's that next challenge? How do we do it the best way Charleston can and, and move forward to the next thing? And, and yeah, if I could, if I could tag on that just, uh, just a little bit, we're talking about the, the district being around for 150 years and actually even a little longer than that. But one of the things that's really been the, the cornerstone of, of success of the district is the employees and how they partner, partner with all parties, whether that, is, as Brian mentioned, is stakeholders, our partners on projects, um, or the general public. And having that, that real sense of, of uh, transparency and communication and, and knowing that, you know, we live in these same communities um, where we're doing projects. And so the success of the project is as is, is important to our employees as a resident of the area as it is a, as an employee. And I think as we look at you know, what are we going to be doing over the next 150 years? It's probably going to continue to be a lot of the same things we did for the last 150 years, where we're going to take on the missions that that uh, Congress and administration ask us to. We're going to support the folks of, of the state of South Carolina, and we're going to do that whether it's a nice, big, shiny, brand new, you know, $40 million barracks or it's a, a $10,000 dock renovation to assist the National Park Service so that folks can come see the history at, at Fort Sumter um, and everything in between. You know, for us, it's not about how many buildings can we put our nice shiny logo on, but it's doing the work that helps other people be able to accomplish their mission and be able to succeed. So when we talk about you know, what is that history of, of Charleston looking like, um, that's what I see it as being. And, you know, time will tell whether that's nice big 10-story building or a four-story building or a big wall around Charleston or whatever that is. But I, I think the legacy of the district is, you know, when called upon, did we deliver and did we deliver in a fashion that, that the public deserves? Because at the end of the day, um, that's who pays our, our salary, and, and that's what we want to do. Thank you for that. So we're nearing the end of our time together, but I do want to talk about the celebration. Uh, having been at a district myself, I know that it's a really big deal. Um, the districts go all out and, and try to celebrate it because um, it means a lot to the employees to understand the history and celebrate where, where they came from. Let's talk about the 150th 
birthday celebration. I know that given the pandemic, you guys probably had to alter something. So what are some of the things you all are doing to help celebrate? Um, well, you, you are right. Um, unfortunately, COVID has decided that they wanted an invitation to our 150th party. So we have had to, uh, to change some things up. As Sean mentioned earlier, we're going to kick off a lot of our activities starting in March. They will culminate with our change of command um, in mid-July. We're doing a variety of things. We are going to have a, a time capsule that, that we're going to open up and allow employees and leadership to uh, put some things in there that, you know, 25 and 50 years from now, our successors will look at and say, oh, my, you know, <laughs> That's a crazy kind of thing to look at, um, sort of similar to what we do when, when we un uncover interesting plans or documents. Um, and we're, we're going to kick that off later this month. We're doing a business open house. We're doing it virtually, unfortunately, instead of in person with contractors that are interested in, in, in doing business with us and, and really talking to them about the, about the district and, and letting them come and, and talk to us about their capabilities. We will have our uh, Wounded Warrior and Veterans uh, Fishing event later this month up at our uh, Cooper River Rediversion Project um, to really uh, celebrate uh, our, our history of, of supporting our veterans uh, you know, through, throughout time. And then we're going to do a variety of outreach-type things, again, both virtually and, and some in person. And we are hoping that in, in July – um, just prior to our change of command, that we're going to be able to actually have what we're calling the, the birthday gala, where um, we're inviting past commanders, past DPMs, our retirees, all of our employees, um, our partners and stakeholders that we work with to come back and have some cake and, and to tell some stories about what it was like when they were in the district or when they were here before, and, and to really just let everybody enjoy looking back at what it is that, that we've done since we, you know, first set up that official office here in, in 1871. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of fun outreach events that we will um, adapt as, as needed to, depending on how the pandemic continues. Yeah. And for anybody listening to this podcast, you can Check out our special website we created for our birthday, which has all of our history on it. You can go to www.sac.usace.army.mil slash 150. And on there, we have a, a whole history of our district with a lot of highlights with some old historical photos, dates, major events that have happened, that kind of thing. Uh, on there also, there is a there is a uh, section for outreach and pu public events, uh, if those are allowed to happen. Unfortunately, that list has already been uh, shrunk in the last few weeks as things have continued to uh, be canceled that we were going to be a part of. Things allow, we do have a number of interesting events for the public that you'll be able to participate in and come see. And, you know, I think that most of these, a lot of these things that we were planning on doing, um, if they don't happen during our official 150th anniversary celebration, we can bring those back uh, once everything is cleared up. You know, we were originally planning on uh, celebrating our birthday starting six months before the birthday and, and ending with the birthday here in March. And now we've kind of started, we've, we changed, pivoted last year to start it in March and go for six months. And obviously, you know, things didn't really, haven't completely changed and cleared up. So we're just kind of rolling with that. 
and all of these things, you know, they will eventually happen some shape or form. But for now, like I said, go to our website and, you know, check out our 150th anniversary page and get some really cool uh, insights into the history of the district and see what we're doing. Thank you for that, Sean. We'll definitely check it out. And wanna thank you, Sean, Lisa, and Brian for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.